Welcome to the Family Tree Magazine Podcast, the show from America's number one genealogy magazine. I'm your host, Lisa Louise Cook. Our theme for this February 2017 episode is African American genealogy. We'll start over at the Genealogy Insider blog, where managing editor Diane Haddad will give us six keys to success for African American genealogy research. Then we'll jump into our top tips segment with Leslie Albrecht Huber, and she'll be talking about the Freedmen's Bureau records. Then in our 101 Best Websites segment, we will visit the Low Country Africana website. And in the Family Tree University Crash Course segment, Family Tree University instructor Angela Walton Raji will be here to give us loads of African American research strategies. And these come from her African American Genealogy Research Essentials webinar. And then we'll wrap it all up at the publisher's desk with Allison Dolan. There's a lot to cover, so let's get to it. Our first stop is the Genealogy Insider blog with Diane Haddad. Let's kick off this episode that's devoted to African-American research over at the Genealogy Insider blog with Diane Haddad. Hi, Diane. Hi, Lisa. How are you? I'm doing great. And I noticed that you kicked off the month of February with a brand new blog post. It's called Six Keys to Success for African-American Genealogy Research. Fits in perfectly with our theme this month. So tell us about that. Yeah, well, it's African American History Month, as um, most people know. And so I kind of started off with a little review of how um, this commemoration began and some links where you can learn more information about it. I think probably one of the most important things for people researching African American family trees is that I think there's an impression out there that once you get to the point of slavery, it's impossible And um, that's not always the case. For a lot of people, it's going to be just because of the lack of records that actually name enslaved individuals. But for, um, you know, a good number of people, it is possible to use records to go back beyond that wall of slavery. Yeah, absolutely. And in fact, in this episode, we're going to have um, several great experts who are going to give us really tangible options for people. When, when you do kind of hit that look of impossibility, there might be a few more options at our fingertips. And you've mentioned in here about, um, I think you've got six different tips. Yes. One being it's not impossible, but two, that you can trace your family back to the Civil War using typical sources and methods. Right. In a lot of ways, that part of it is going to be the same as for any other um, heritage group, using census records and vital records, talking to relatives. Um, sometimes you'll find that the records are segregated, like there might be a like a colored um, was the term marriage register or um, your ancestors might be buried in a part of the cemetery that was reserved for African-Americans. But most of the sources and methods will be the same. You will want to look at historical migration patterns, such as the um, Great Migration of the 20th century is um, from about 1910 to nineteen forty and then again until nineteen seventy there was a general movement 
of large numbers of African Americans from rural areas of the South into cities in the North and West for a variety of reasons. Some job opportunities, there were some, the cotton bull weevil just decimated cotton crops, so there was less work um, where they were. So trying to find out your family's particular pattern of movements is also very important. Right. And that's your your third step. The fourth one I see here is checking the 1860 and 1850 census, because you say that about 90% of African Americans were enslaved at the time of the Civil War, and they weren't named in censuses. But free blacks often do appear in census records. Right. And a lot of people don't realize they do have freed individuals in their family. There were. Um, about 10% of the African-American population was free. And those people were often listed in census records. So if they are, then they were likely not enslaved. Um, then in that case, you'd want to look for something called free black registers. In a lot of places, African-Americans who were free would have to register and then have documentation so that they could show that, um, yes, I'm free. Exactly. And your fifth step here is identifying the slaveholding family. And even if you're not technically related to that family, they could have far more information and documentation associated with them that might still include your ancestors, correct? Right, right. Slaveholding families will often have records with first names and descriptions of the slaves that they held, especially in records like wills, or if it was a larger plantation, then there might be business records that would describe the slaves who were on that plantation. Exactly. And all of those provide clues to help us kind of keep moving forward. You can learn so much more about just how to approach African-American genealogy and these six keys for success. I'll have a link in the show notes to Diane's blog post. And now we're getting ready to, to dig in more depth to some of these areas with our additional guests here on the show. So thank you, Diane, for kicking us off to a great start. You're welcome. One thing I wanted to mention is that this post has a download to our free ebook with more information on using records of African-American ancestors. Oh, fantastic. Okay, so now y'all have to go to the show notes and click the link. Thank you, Diane. You're welcome. The records of the Freedmen's Bureau can help you discover freed slaves in your family tree. And Family Search's indexing project makes access easier than ever. So here to tell us more about it is the author of the Family Tree Magazine article, Finding Freedom. Leslie Albrecht Huber. Welcome to the show, Leslie. Thanks for having me, Lisa. Thanks for being here. I'd love to have you start us off just giving us a little bit of background about the Freedmen's Bureau, what it is, when it existed, that type of thing. Sure. So the organization that tends to be called the Freedmen's Bureau, its full name is actually the Bureau of Refugees, Freedmen, and Abandoned Lands. And it came into existence on March 3rd of 1865 through Congress. And its mission was to relieve suffering and lay the foundation for recovery. So this was a very tumultuous time in U.S. history. The Civil War was over, but there was a lot of people who had been uprooted and who now had the opportunity and challenge to start life over. And so the Freedmen's Bureau was really brought into existence to help. Now, it had a pretty controversial birth and life 
from the beginning, people disagreed on whether or not it should exist and what the scope of its mission should be. And so there were some people who had grand visions, and yet they often didn't get the funding and support they needed to carry everything out. So while the original vision was a much longer history, it only lasted until 1872, and it had a diminishing power throughout that period. But even in a relatively short amount of time, it was able to do a great deal of good. It provided a range of services, not just to freed slaves, but to people in the community at large. And you can kind of see that in its title, the Bureau of Refugees, Freedmen, and Abandoned Land. So it wasn't just the freedmen, and the refugees were considered also some of the poor white people of that time who had been uprooted and displaced. So they helped with things ranging from emergency food, clothing, medicine. They ran hospitals and schools. They helped with land disputes and labor disputes. They helped reunite families. There are some interesting stories in regards to that. They did just a wide range of different things. They have letters collected there. They helped bounty payments. And they legalized thousands of marriages. So I guess that's the, the brief summary of what they did. Right. And and that's a really important point, I think, that people often don't know about the Freedmen's Bureau was that it, it did assist freed slaves, but it also assisted people who were already free, but still in need. And so that means that uh, we can think of this as a place to look depending on whatever circumstance your ancestors may have been in, there's a possibility there could be records there. I'd love to have you tell us a little bit about what types of records specifically we might be able to find the Freedmen's Bureau. So the records are divided into five categories. And I find it's important and useful to know that, but the categorizations aren't always super helpful. Several of the divisions, such as the headquarter records and the state records of assistant commissioners and superintendents of education records, they tend to be mostly administrative records and not of a ton of value to genealogists. And they're not the ones that Family Search indexed, although they did digitize um, a huge amount of records, but they didn't index all of them. They indexed those with genealogical value. So the most important ones, kind of at the heart and soul, uh, the Freedmen Bureau records are the field office records. And these field offices existed throughout the South, and people would go to their local field office to get help. And they were run pretty much independently by the people working there at that field office. So exactly what records exist varies a lot from place to place, and how that information was recorded also varies. But the types of records that you'll find there, again, will depend on the types of services that they were providing. As I mentioned, some of those, you'll see ration records as they were distributing food and medicine. The Bureau ran their own hospitals and schools, so you'll see those records. I think one of the types of records that is really interesting is they did sometimes intervene in disputes, and there'll be letters documenting this. You'll have occurrences where a landowner, a former slave owner, would not release the slaves. So people would be writing and saying, this person still has my children. I want my children back. And the Bureau would intervene and go and help with that. They provided transportation. Families were spread all around because of the cruelty of slavery. 
And so they would sometimes, you'll see the records of them providing bus passes to get those families back together. Two other types of records besides the field office records are the marriage records. And those last from 1861 to 69. And they have new marriages, but they also recorded marriages that had taken place a long time ago and they were now making them legal. And finally, the final group of records that is really interesting lasted from 1872 to 1878. And so this was after the official close of the Freedmen's Bureau. And they specialized in helping soldiers and sailors receive pay and pensions. And so that did continue to operate. Wow, just a, a wide variety there. I know that uh, Family Search has been working on a project in uh, conjunction with the Freedmen's Bureau Information and Records, and uh, there are some records at Ancestry. And talk a little bit about where we might start initially an online search to uh, track down what might be available. Sure. So it's interesting background note here is that in their original raw form, the Freedmen's Bureau were made up of a thousand linear feet of papers. So you can see there was just a ton of information and Family Search digitized them from 2001 to 2007, but the index was just completed last June. So Family Search, there are several places to find the records, but the most complete collection is available at Family Search. As I mentioned, they did not index every record in all those record groups, but they index everything of genealogical value. And the, the best way to begin your search and the most simple search that you can do is at Family Search's site, the Freedmen's Bureau Project, and it's just www.discoverfreedmen.org. And a search from that page will search the entire indexed collection. So that is the easiest way to access the record. You can go to Family Search's page go to the record search and look at the different collections. If you're interested in that, you'll find that they're listed by state as well as by record type, which can be confusing at first. So if you want to search for marriage records, the marriage records will search across all states, but you could also search for Alabama records that would search all records in Alabama. So there's a couple different ways of doing it. Now there is some limited records in other places, such as Ancestry does have a portion of the records, and as does Internet Archive, they're not indexed. But a great resource to keep in mind is Mapping the Freedmen's Bureau. And they don't have separate copies of the records there, but what they do have is a map that includes little icons showing where each field office was located at. So if you're not sure where your family might have gone, and you're interested in that, you can look up that map, find the nearby field offices, and click on those, and it will take you to records for that field office. So that's another fun way to kind of get that visual impact of where you might find records for your family. Wow, quite a collection. How interesting. I didn't realize Internet Archive had some of these. But you know, really, it's that index makes such a difference. That was such a huge accomplishment for Family Search to, uh, to do that. I really appreciate all of these resources. You know, if you guys want to learn more about the Freedmen's Bureau, Leslie's article is really terrific. It's in the January, February 2017 issue of Family Tree Magazine. 
It's called Finding Freedom. And not only does she have so many more details about it, but she's even got uh, an amazing success story of the kinds of research that people are doing in these records and what they can help you uncover. Leslie, thank you so much for coming to the podcast today and sharing this wonderful resource with us. Thank you. It is a great resource, and I'm excited for other people to discover it themselves. Family Tree University Crash Course segment, I've invited Angela Walton Raji to share some best practices from her upcoming live webinar. It's called African American Genealogy Research Essentials. Welcome to the show, Angela. Why, thank you, Lisa. It's great to be here. Oh, I'm thrilled to have you on the show. This is the perfect topic for our episode this month. And, you know, African American research offers some really unique challenges. So I'd love to talk about some of those strategies that you're going to be uh, sharing in the upcoming webinar, which will then be recorded and put into a video format uh, available to everybody. For example, is there anything that we should really keep in mind as we start interviewing our relatives? Oh, absolutely. Of course, the African-American story is unique in and of itself. Of course, we get into, well, the standard records that everyone uses, the vital records, the census records. But there are going to be some challenges um, once one gets into 19th century, particularly 1800s, and um, one reaches what we call the Wall of 1870. And that's the era where you're first finding your ancestors. But then you're not quite sure in terms of where to go next. And so oral history is really important to really ask that question. When you start to get information from the elders, you want to find out, well, especially if you're talking to an elder today who may be in, what, their 70s, they were clearly born in the 20th century. Did they happen to know anyone who had been born a slave when they were a child? They may be the last generation who knew someone who had been born enslaved. That's a critical question to ask. Uh, who was the oldest person do you, that you remember when you were a child? And did that person ever talk about anyone who may have been enslaved? That's a critical question. But there's so many other kinds of questions to ask even before you get to that era. There are questions to ask in terms of, well, what do you know where the family is from? Were we always from Georgia? Were we always from Pennsylvania? You know, was there a time when we came from another place? There's so many critical questions and also key points in in just the historical timeline that you want to be able to zoom in on and, and ask elders, were people involved in the movement? Were they involved with certain things in the Garvey era? What kinds of things did they see? These are critical things to ask elders to sort of jar their memory and get them to start talking as well. Exactly. I mean, so often when we sit down with anybody for an interview, you know, kind of the first response is, oh, I don't know, I don't remember. But wow, right. if you have that kind of an arsenal of really pointed mm-hmm. questions, you help mm-hmm. them. And, and they're all, don't you find they're always amazed that they do remember so much? They do, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, I, I frequently, we talked about some tips recently um, in our Black Progen Live event. You know, how do you get people interested or keep them from being bored? Well, usually find something that they were a part of 
and start to ask questions around that and then expand from there. But uh, but there are some particular questions that you do want to, to get them to address. And a lot of times just then stay with the time period that they're familiar with if they don't know much about what happened decades before they were born uh, because there were some critical events that took place in their lifetime. And you mentioned the timeline. Uh, is that a tool that you really turn to all oh, the time really on this? Yeah, absolutely. Because there were some events. I mean, even, um, of course, these days, people even think of, of uh, I'm a baby boomer, and people think of us now as elders, which, oh, my gosh. But uh, <laughs> yeah, even as baby boomers, we lived through some critical times. But particularly when you're dealing with someone of African ancestry, African American ancestry, you want to ask them what they recall of the civil rights era. Were they involved? Are there freedom riders in the family? That was an amazing era in the 19th 1960s. Before that, there were other aspects of the of the civil rights movement. There was, of course, when you get to the 40s and 30s, well, the migration was, was really at its peak, the Great Migration, where people literally by hundreds of thousands left the South and went north and west. And that's important. Well, okay, we're living in Indianapolis, but we're really from where in Arkansas now or where in Tennessee? Well, who remembers that journey? There's a story right there. The story of the family's migration, oftentimes omitted in the family narrative. And, of course, the military history. There is, of course, the period, actually, most people think of um, westward expansion, Buffalo Soldiers, the Wild West. Well, actually, military units through the mid-20th century were still referred to as Buffalo Soldiers. Well, who, who in the family was in World War II? Who was a Buffalo Soldier? Who was in World War I? Who was in the Spanish-American War? This is still another part that's a unique aspect of the African-American story. And sometimes someone might have just a really, you know, just a, a little story that they still recall. Oh, yeah, I remember. Yeah. Grandpa said, you know, they were some group called the Triple Nickel. You know, wow. Most people are not aware of these black World War II parachuters. And just amazing stories that sometimes if you just drop a couple of key words, you might jar their memory and get an amazing narrative to come out of that. Well, and what you're really encouraging people to do, too, I think, is to learn their history. So if you know those terms, if you know that history, then you can say them like you said. Somebody may not remember it off the top of their head, but if they hear you using terminology, that it just rings a bell from a story 50 years ago. That would be amazing to uncover. You well, just said it. Absolutely. You know, when you talk about the census, and, and you do kind of hit a wall around 1870, what are some of the strategies that you employ when it comes to the census? Well, when it comes to the census, you get to that point in 1870. The question is, now where do I go? They hit the wall because they're not sure what to do. In terms of a strategy, number one, I always tell people this is the time to truly slow down because the goal oftentimes is to say, oh, what can I do now to get to 1860? First of all, you're at 1870. Something critically important happened that changed the trajectory of their lives. What is missing in your family narrative? What's missing is how freedom came, the freedom story. Thankfully, we now have 
some tools to help us. We have, yes, we know the Freedmen's Bureau records are there, but there are a whole lot of other records that are there also that have been there for years. The records of the U.S. Colored Troops, which contain just a plethora of family data, particularly if the soldier, upon his death, left a widow or children or sometimes a mother or a father. I've even seen fathers claim pensions for deceased sons. So there are records from that era. It's really, really critical. And as you mentioned a minute ago, sometimes the key is to learn the history. And sometimes it's as specific as learning the local history. Let's say Memphis, Tennessee, for example. Well, right outside of Memphis, Tennessee, yeah, there's a big industrial park on the little area called President's Island. Well, guess what? In the Civil War, President's Island became a contraband camp. There were three contraband camps close to Memphis, and these were individuals who had really freed themselves and then had started to settle and create little settlements during the war, up to the end of the war and into the late 1860s, and this became a community. And that's a story right there. It's a challenge because you want to find that story. That story is found on the local history level. That's where you're going to find it because it's not going to be in a census record. <laughs> and uh, so it's, uh, But this is sometimes where you're going to find some pieces of that story. And it's very important. It's well, a challenge, but it can be done. Exactly. And as all of you can hear, even though there's a challenge there, there are so many more opportunities than most of us ever realize. And Angela really talks about this and gets knee deep into it in this new webinar. It's called African American Genealogy Research Essentials. If you can attend it on the live date of February 16th of 2017, fantastic, because you're going to have Angela live talking with you and you can ask questions. But if not, there is going to be a video recording and that's available uh, at shopfamilytree.com. So tons and tons of hope and opportunity for really bringing out the story of the African Americans in your family tree. And Angela, thank you so much for sharing all of your expertise with us. We've really enjoyed it. Oh, it's been a pleasure, Lisa. Thank you. All right, well, we're about to wrap up this episode, February of 2017. So we need to head over to the publisher's desk and chat with Allison Dolan. Hi, Allison. Hi, Lisa. It's that time of year. It's the beginning of the year and into the 2017. And I know that you've got a new virtual conference coming up. So I'd love to have you tell us about it. Absolutely. It's um, a very busy time of year here as we're kicking off 2017. And everyone's working on their genealogy resolutions. I know I am. And the virtual conference is a great opportunity to make some progress on those um, because you get to learn a bunch of stuff from a bunch of great presenters, and it's three days packed full of genealogy education and fun. Yeah, and so this is perfect because, you know, there's a small number of genealogists who can get to these conferences in person, but a lot of us, you know, are spread out all over the country, and it's not always convenient. And this they can just do right from home. In fact, you were telling me that uh, even if they can't make the live event, they can still participate. So how does all this work? Right. So the conference takes place March 3rd through 5th. 
And it is an online-based conference, like you said. So you can participate anywhere. You can log in anytime. What's so cool about it is the presentations are all pre-recorded. So you don't have to pick between going to one session or another. You can watch them in whatever order you like, whenever you feel like it. And you can actually even download all of the sessions to watch later. So you don't even have to cram it all into the three days of the live conference itself. Oh, excellent. And then do they get some interaction? I know you're they're watching videos, what kind of interactive things do go on live during that weekend? Right. So in addition to the pre recorded sessions, we also have uh, message board chats, sort of live chats too. Um, we're doing that a little bit different this time and that it's all going to take place on the message board. So it's a little um, more streamlined in the experience that you're already having. And you just kind of show up and you talk about the topic with other like-minded folks. But it's also a great way to just connect with other genealogists who are passionate about family history, just like you are, who might be able to help you work through some research problems, give you some new ideas, and even just sort of commiserate on whatever obstacle you might be facing. So that's really great. And one new feature that we're introducing this time that I'm super excited about is a live keynote. It's going to be the six-minute story with Joshua Taylor, who's on the Genealogy Roadshow. He's going to be talking about how they craft the ancestor research around a six-minute spot on television. So it's a really great way to kind of get to the nitty-gritty of putting together a full picture of, of research in a short period of time. Oh, that sounds fantastic. And of course, we've been talking about African American research in this episode. I know you've got Tom Reed from Family Search, who's going to be doing a session on Freedmen's Bureau for family history research. So, so many great presenters. Hey, if you guys are interested in this, and it's a fabulous weekend, we're going to have the link in the show notes for you. And that'll take you over so you can look through, see who all the speakers are, what all the topics are. There's even a quick little video there for you. And you can sign up and you can also um, find out more about if you're not able to attend live, how you can participate after the fact. So sounds awesome. Great way to kick off the year, like you said, and reach some goals. Yes, absolutely. I'm looking forward to it. Thanks, Allison. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining me for this February 2017 episode of the Family Tree Magazine podcast. It's the monthly show from America's number one genealogy magazine. You'll find the show notes for this episode at familytreemagazine.com slash podcast. And that webpage includes all the website links to the sites and resources that we talked about today. Thanks again for joining me. I'm Lisa Louise Cook, and I invite you to visit me at my website. It's called genealogygems.com. And there you can listen to my free podcast, the Genealogy Gems podcast, which is also available for free through iTunes. And we have an app. Until next time, have fun climbing your family tree.